Hey, you're listening to The Centre Podcast. We're a church based in Dural, Sydney, who love Jesus and so want to make Him the centre of our lives, our community and our world. We're going to learn how to do that right now as we sit down and unpack Sunday's sermon. All right, well... Welcome to Banter, the second last Banter of the year. We uh, have a big chunk of scripture that we're going to be going through and uh, we're going to break it up into two parts. But Mm. Mitch, how you doing, mate? I'm good. I'm good. (laughs) I've been Santa all morning. All right, mate. Santa Oz. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. (laughs) Bit of an Aussie remix on Santa Claus. Yeah, just, you know... That's it, hey. Just uh, you know, shorts and thongs. Come with on, the Santa hat. Have <laughs> you? Yeah. I reckon Santa, yeah, around Australia in that costume would probably be dying of heat stroke. So I think mm. it was. <laughs> well, look, it was pretty hot out there, and like, Ooh. yeah, I bet. And, you know, I bet. Um, yeah. So <laughs> that was the condition of life. I'm dressed up as Santa. I'm going Aussie Santa. So you know, work for inflatables. You know, I made all the kids do a big thumbs up when we got photos together. So you have any uh, funny requests for gifts over Santa? Uh, not really, no. <laughs> Just, no, just, no, just no, the no, pretty just, standard ones? Or? Well, I didn't get any requests. I oh, just really? came up and just got photos. And, oh, yeah, okay. That was all. <laughs> no, no asking for gifts. Yeah, well, so. look, uh, Christmas Christmas came early for me this year, mate. We were, uh, for, for those who've, who've been listening in for a long time, who've been writing in about the, the bucket hat, I appreciate your, uh, your, your thoughts and prayers. <laughs> but we were uh, getting Georgia a little hat the other day at the chemist, and I, I finally found it. I finally found the perfect the Cinderella bucket hat that fit my giant bucket head. So I'm, I've been uh, rocking a, a bucket hat the last uh, weekend at the pool, chilling out. It's been very exciting. So there you go. My Christmas wish came true. Which pool do you swim at? Well, I've got a um, auntie who lives in Kenthurst who has a pool, uh, okay. so it's a bit of a private pool. But oh, there you go, yep. yeah, it's um, always nice to be able to hop in there and yeah. show uh, show everyone what George has been learning at swim class. He's yeah, like diving cool. down to the bottom of the pool now and grabbing stuff. That's it's fantastic. It is. It's kind of terrifying yeah, as a parent wow. to like intentionally push your child down to the bottom of like a yeah. chest high like water and like pull up a toy yeah, yeah but he's really well he's a little yeah a little dolphin man yeah that's so cool <laughs> we took our kids to waves yesterday oh yeah just in borco how'd it go yeah my kids don't like the water yeah <laughs> so don't, have, don't have that problem of uh yeah we're trying to get them like accustomed yeah there's lots of screaming the only one didn't scream was marcus <laughs> a great time <laughs> I, th- I think the tricky thing is this this pool that we go to is heated even in summer <laughs> It's still got like, it's like a solar, like oh, yeah, natural yeah. heating thing. So it's like always very warm because I've found the few times I've taken George to like the beach or whatever, just being a little dude, he gets cold very, very mm. quickly. I think that's a hard part of it because yeah. when I take him to swim class, it's like a bath in there. Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, like a... it's, um... Well, they keep it like traditionally like learn to swim pools are kept at 30 degrees. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, most indoor pools are kept at 30 degrees. Except for the lap pools. Yeah. I mean, you'd know with your with your lifesaver yeah, expertise and background. I know. Walk, walking in, I was like, mm, this reminds me, takes me back that smell. <laughs> the like, smell mm, of chlorine. Smell of chlorine. Get that into you. It's good for the lungs, apparently. I've been watching a um, Netflix stand-up special, The Old Man in the Pool, um, Mike Babiglia, and he talks about how he got really unfit and needed to start swimming. And apparently there was some statistic in a normal pool um, it is 20 gallons of chlorine, which is like a ridiculous, yeah, ridiculous yeah. amount of chlorine. You could like literally fill up a car yeah. of petrol with that much yeah, chlorine. Yeah, yeah. It's so ridiculous, but yeah, yeah you got to fight all that urine it. and poo, I guess. You do, yeah. Actually, it's, um, we're going way off topic, but when we get code browns, um, <laughs> the, the policy was you have to evacuate the pool and like um, super chlorinate, so double the chlorination. I remember one of my supervisors like, you don't even need to. 
Like this is just overkill. The it's amount of chlorine so. that's in there would kill. As soon as the poo goes yeah. in, there, it's killed the germs. But it's just like yeah. to make people feel better. You like yeah. double <laughs> double the chlorine for a bit, yeah. then let people back in. Yeah, it's insane. It's, yeah, I oh, do. When I used to swim each day, I had I had longer hair, and the tips of my hair went blonde, a yeah. blondy green actually. Yeah, just yeah, all the yeah. Because I wasn't showering properly. You Bleached get, it. Because I sometimes swim twice a day and just whatever, just get out of the pool. Actually, in the outdoor pool, just get out, just yeah. dry off, go home, go to work, or whatever. And so it's just sitting there, just bleaching my hair. So yeah, it was, yeah. yeah it was, someone actually thought that I would had like a really bad dye job. They go, "Who did your hair?" I'm like, "No one. It's just the the chlorine has just like bleached it." <laughs> the local <So>. pool. It's <laughs> got that local pool vibe. Look, amazing, yeah. amazing. Yeah, I don't, I don't think there's any girls going to the hairdresser and saying, "Can I? You make my hair look like I've been swimming in the local pool." <laughs> Uh, well, we have, uh, yeah, wrapping up our series on Samuel. Yeah. And, uh, you know, sp- speaking of, of hair, you know, the, the classic Absalom with his beautiful yes, locks, yes. which we'll get into a that bit more. That's a great segue, actually. Uh, Did you look, plan that? No, not really. But, you know, it's just, it comes to me naturally. Yeah. It's my spiritual gift. Yeah. Um, but we do have, um, obviously, the first two chapters mm. of this chunk yeah, of scripture, yeah. uh, 2 Samuel 13, 14 doesn't really mention as much about Absalom's hair in, in these passages. No. It's not as much of a uh, plot point. No. Um, but yeah, let's get into it. We've yeah. got, um, as you know, you've sort of been speaking about as we've been going through mm. the second half of Samuel, really this ripple effect of sin that mm. really started with David and Bathsheba mm. um, and now is continuing on. We're seeing this into the next generation yeah. um, in further ways. So as we're kind of looking at all of this, you've got some interesting characters that you... Yeah provided a very helpful um, little table for. But one really interesting character, which my ears kind of pricked up for, um, was Tamar. Because mm. she's not the first Tamar that we come across mm. in the Bible. Uh, not the first Tamar in the first one, a bit more indirectly in the line of Judah. This yeah. one, very much bloodline of mm. Judah. Um, what's going on with Tamar here? What's going on? Yeah. Should that be something that we're noticing, that there's the a Tamar again here? Yeah. Um, so, look, probably yesterday I should have said this, but like, it is a very triggering passage. Yeah. Because it's pretty heavy. Um, in fact, there's probably... In biblical narrative, um, dialogue is really rare. Mm. So the fact that they've got lots of dialogue focusing on um, Amon's assault mm. of Tamar is significant. Sure. It's meant to make you feel ooh, disgusted. So, yeah, so um, when we've got in the Bible work, when characters are described a certain way, like beautiful, in Samuel it's meant to like can be a bit of a trigger for like uh, something bad's mm. going to happen hmm. um, yeah so obviously Nathan the prophet he tells that parable about mm-hmm. the rich man taking that young man the poor man's sheep and David's sort of declaration is he should be punished four times and be killed mm. in a sense like that's what's happening to David there's a four time punishment he loses four of his sons eventually it's obviously the unborn son between Sheba. Sheba, yep. and then he loses um, Amon Absalom, and then the next son. In, it happens in one kings, but Abijah. So there's sort of four sons he loses, and here, okay. um, this second Tamar, it meant to kind of reflect a bit. Yeah, like you've know, pointed out already, um, the Tamar who pretty gross incestually that Judah sleeps with. It's yeah. all the Bible's so messed up, man. <laughs> it's so yeah. much messed up incestuous stuff happening. But yeah, Tamar to um, sort of yeah also is like a of a Dina character like Dina was the, s- the daughter of Jacob mm-hmm. and she gets um, raped by oh I've forgotten the name 
of him. But yeah, in Genesis, and but he wants to marry um, Dina instead. So he and they actually go through um, yeah in Genesis thirty four. That's it. So so the guy who yeah assaults Dina, he is keen to marry, and um, Simeon and Levi go yeah yeah you need to get circumcised. Mm-hmm. Um, and oh, here he is, I mean Shechem. There we go, Shechem. His heart was drawn to Shechem. Um, he's drawn to Dina. Something happens. He defiles her. Um, yeah, Jacob is cranky but doesn't do anything. Mm. And similar to David here, there's this sort of pattern that's repeating is mm. that David is king, supposed to be enacting justice, mm. and he's not and in a similar way. Um, like J- uh, Jacob didn't do anything about Dina, and so instead. Um, yeah, her brothers enact it. They kind of make this plan about, well, you can get circumcised and you marry us. And so while the whole town gets circumcised and they're recovering, they kill all like the Shechemites. Mm. And so in, in another sense, it's sort of like history repeating itself. And the Bible does this. It recapitulates different themes. And mm. so you're meant to sort of pick up, okay, we've got sort of a second Tamar kind of tying you with that whole incestuous sort of stuff, which seems to revolve around the tribe of Judah a fair bit. Mm. Um, yeah, you meant to reflect upon Dina and the lack of Jacob's response to her being defiled. Mm-hmm. And also like Absalom sort of doing what his forebears did as mm. well. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of sort of themes going on there we're meant to reflect upon. Mm. Yeah. The failure of leadership and these women who are caught in the crossfire. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tamar's story is quite tragic. Um it's interesting, Absalom, yeah, be- before really looking at these passages, I had a very negative view of him. I just thought he was like yeah, an interloper who took the throne, like this horrible man, who eventually sleeps with 10 of his father's concubines. But again, it seems this real like, anti-hero sort of figure, like he just was fighting for <coughs> his sister's like um, honour. Yeah. And he wasn't getting justice from his father, so he sort of took matters into his own hand. Um, according to Torah, the punishment for uh, like adultery um there's sort of two forms of it like not i shouldn't say adultery of like um sexual assault or rape is like death sure. and so yeah that was what should have happened to Amon. he should have been killed according yeah. to torah and so in a sense he got what he was supposed to but through an illicit way and actually absalom we he has three sons and a daughter and the daughter's called tamer mm-hmm. almost like a way honor his daughter it's honor so there's a sense there as a as a brother he cared for his sister mm-hmm. quite deeply because there's a if you particularly feminist commentators after after he, she sees her like crying and lamenting it's sort of like what's he say he says um oh wait i'm looking at the wrong chapter that's why um <laughs> i wouldn't find it yeah he says um Funny, oh, has that has that aim on your brother being with you? Be quiet now, my sister. He is your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. People are like, oh, how dismissive, just sort of trying to play it down. And it's like, well, yeah, you can't know a character's motivations based on a few sentences and reading it through modern lenses. But based on how he plots, you yeah. see that he deeply cares. The fact that he names a daughter after her shows that there's yeah. a sense that he cares for her very deeply. And mm. actually, I read one commentator. Um, that said, he probably he might have been saying it too because he's royalty. So Amon's next in line to the throne. Sure. So it's like, oh, let's be quiet. Let's not sort of cause a fuss yeah. now. And I'll strike later. Or mm. Yeah, so. it's. A, I mean, look, it's obviously a very tricky story and, oh. and very um, tricky subject mm. matter. In, in all of this, I 
kind of get a little bit confused mm. in um, whose actions are sort of meant to be seen as righteous. <laughs> so obviously you compare David to yeah, a Jacob yeah. who yeah. sort of remains silent mm. and ineffective uh, in response to, you know, Dina's yeah. assault. You see here David likewise being ineffective mm. and sort yep. of unresponsive to Tamar's assault. But then Absalom's response isn't necessarily seen as righteous either. And it sort of creates a very confusing question of, well, what was the right response then? I think the answer is none. Well, the only one who I guess is innocent is Tamar in all of this. She's the only one I guess you'd present as a righteous character. And what what the biblical author is doing, if we're looking at the the overall themes of Samuel, and we re- remember Samuel's warning about what kings will do. Mm. This is sort of part of it, is that ultimately yeah. this is the spiraling effect. Mm. And sin just, there's no winners out of it. Mm. I think that's what we're meant to take away. When I read this, we're meant to go, well, the only good person's God who's the unseen kind of character in all of this. That's how, like, a lot of. Um, yeah, I guess Hebrew experts say is in biblical narrative, God's the sort of silent, ever-present character mm. over these events. And just, yeah, just because it's there in scripture doesn't mean that God condones it. There's a sense of like, yeah, a tricky part of God allowing terrible things to happen. Mm. And it's a really hard balance of like, yeah, God could stop that, but he didn't. And yeah. like, I guess God could have stopped Adam and Eve sinning from the get-go. And so here sure. it's sort of... Sh- yeah, that kind of build up, which I'm trying to kind of illustrate with the sermons of 2 Samuel 7 is like, okay, we've got these expectations of what the king is to have an everlasting throne and what the Psalms pick up on. You know, there's this ideal, and the ideal isn't in, in the initial David. It isn't in his initial sons. It isn't mm-hmm. in his initial grandsons. And mm-hmm. so it's almost like this question that's hovering over mm-hmm. the narrative the whole time. Who is who is this Messiah? Who is this one to rule mm. eternally? Mm. And so you're kind of left, yeah, constantly, yeah, if you feel kind of disgusted and that's sort of the point the narrative has accomplished mm. what it's set out to do is to make you feel, yeah, this is terrible. Like we need something better than mm. what we currently have. And so yeah, that's what I was trying to do, linking it to Jesus, mm. particularly around Matthew and Herod's sort of attack on the infants at, in Bethlehem in a way mirrors that this list. Leadership that <clears throat> is unjust, is unjust, unjust, I should say. And so, yeah, that's the world that a lot of people live in. These unjust rulers who just do whatever they want. Or, yeah, I like what um, yeah, Peter Hitchens says. He's the brother of Christopher Hitchens, the yeah. famous atheist. Yeah. So he, so Peter Hitchens is a Christian. Um, yeah, and he talks about like these sort of practical atheistic societies. And he goes, if you're born, well, evolution teaches survival of the fittest. And so if you're a practical atheist, that's the strong crush the weak. Mm. And again, that's kind of the natural directory. If you don't have mm. like a guiding mm. um, yeah, morality, then like, well, of course. So, and yeah. we're sort of seeing, well, that's what we're seeing here, the strong overpowering mm. the weak time and time again, which is why the Bible really redirects Yahweh's the God to the, the fatherless, the, you know, the widow, the orphan, mm. the, yeah, the foreigner, those that are were powerless in the ancient world mm. where yeah our society yeah it's like they still get oppressed but a lot less mm. a lot more aware just now certainly here in western society which is part of those judeo-christian roots i think for mm. like 
yeah, protecting the poor and the needy. So that's yeah, that's all sort of part of what's going mm. on here. Mm. But um, there's a few more little cool fun facts for the yeah, Bible yeah, little, nerds, little right? hyperlinks. Yeah, the little hyperlinks. I like that mm. word hyperlinks. Um, even this narrative too, the first part of chapter thirteen, there's like allusions to Joseph mm. back in Genesis, and so yeah, even the um, the wording when um, Amon verse uh, eighteen. Yeah, when he grabs a come... Oh, this is actually... When he says, come lie with me oh. in 1311, it's similar to like Pharaoh... Not Pharaoh, it's Potiphar's wife sure. for Joseph. So the sense of like... Yeah, and even the ornate robe that... Mm. Sorry, that's what I was referring yeah, to. Yeah, 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 the ornate robe. Yeah, yeah that's... Um, in verse 18, like that's the only time it's mentioned with Joseph. So it's like a yeah a reverse sort of Joseph imagery here. Mm. Um yeah, it's just these little fun little facts, and even the fact that um, yeah, Joseph, even though Jacob should have been well aware of how much his brothers hated him, mm. still sent him by himself, and like in a similar way, if um, Amon's so lovesick as he claimed to be, like David probably should have been a bit more aware of that. Mm. So saying he still sent Tamar. So it's like, yeah, again, there's this kind of like, yeah, recapitulation of like a Jake, Jacob, David, all mm. these sort of things. Just, mm. you yeah, know, that's the cool thing with the Bible. There's just these little echoes mm. that you meant to like, yeah. and Genesis sets the foundation for that and picks it up. And so we just see yeah. a kind of history repeating itself amongst yeah. Israel. Yeah. So. Mm. so in all of this, we kind of then come to this moment where Absalom does kill Amnon. Mm. Um, you did mention before, because, you know, we've, we've looked at quite a lot now, you know, obviously there was a fault in mm. David not mm. addressing this as not just the king, but like the father, father of that yeah. household. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, But with Absalom killing Amnon, so you mentioned before there is maybe um, in, you know, sort of Torah standard um, for how to respond to somebody who commits, you know, assault yeah. like this. Yeah. What 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 was the appropriate punishment for um, somebody like that? So it was death. Now I just got, I had the reference yeah. down here. Now I've like lost where it is. But ultimately, it was death. There's sort of two categories, which I find tricky. But it's mm. the Bible. <laughs> if, if it happened to a woman in the city, the idea is she could cry out and be heard. Which seems to just go again. Anyway, I was like, yeah, anyway, I just think like you could put your hand over someone's mouth. But anyway, that was kind of the standard. If it happened in the city and if you could cry and be heard, then it was seen as like innocent. But if it happened in the countryside where no one heard, it was kind of implied. Yeah, I find that very tricky. But the point was is that there was death. Death was the um, was the punishment for that. Now, it's in Deuteronomy somewhere, but I seem to have lost that reference of I had in my document. But, um, yeah, here we go. Deuteronomy twenty two twenty five. Let me just pull that one up there. So, yeah, and, and like this, and often like the punishment for adultery. Um, yeah, so here it is here, Deuteronomy twenty two twenty five. But if in the open country a man meets a young woman who is betrothed and the man sees her and lies with her, then only the man who lay with her shall die. So mm. that was the idea there is that, yeah, like in this example here, like, According to Torah, like that's what should happen to Amon. He should have died. Exactly like what happened to David mm. with Bathsheba. There should be death. And so a few people have speculated that perhaps David didn't do anything because he sees his own guilt hmm. in Amon. I mean, yeah. Possibly. I can, I can like, see that. He's like, well, sure. how could I dare judge someone when I've sort of done it for myself? Um, sure. 
Yeah, or he's just becoming like another Eli. Like again, picking yeah. up those themes that we've seen in Samuel, yeah. like Eli's sons of Infinity, they were yeah shocking. You know, they were sleeping with women, yeah. taking meat for themselves, and Eli knew about it, but didn't Turned do anything about eye. it. So yeah. could just be that. Even Samuel himself, we're told that his sons were wicked. Yeah, it's like okay, so it seems to be this the thing. wicked sons. <laughs> seems to be Samuel and Samuel that the sons. Yes. Are a bit useless. Oh, the fathers are the sons are useless, and the fathers are useless at disciplining them. And yeah. so that, yeah, implied failure of leadership. Um, um, what's his name? Blackaby. Blackaby. I think, can't remember his first name now. There's a book um, called Spiritual Leadership by a Blackaby. Father and son. I've forgotten both their names. Yeah. I just <laughs> ironically father and son. Father and son. They both good son. They they written it together. Um, yeah. I just because I always refer to Blackaby's book, and it will come to me probably. That's later right. on If tonight, you Google it, I'm sure you can Spiritual find Leadership. Spiritual by the Leadership. Blackaby. Blackaby. Um, father and son. And yeah, he said that it's like every time God wanted to change Israel, he raised up a leader. Talking mm. about the importance of leadership, and I was like, oh, it's so true here. Like mm. there's this sense of like, whether it be in the home, whether it be like in a tribe where we'd be in a nation, mm. the leader really set the culture mm. of things and determined mm. basically the outcome of where the nation went to. Mm. And so, again, sort of going back to that idea of like the unspoken question we throughout this is like, man, who's, who's good enough to be leading Israel? Like mm. if this is the guy that's meant to be the man after God's own heart mm. and you see he's just like failure... Yeah. And this is probably the stuff they don't teach in Sunday school. You, you learn about David and Bathsheba. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, okay, that was sort of the one time David sinned. And then he repented and, yeah, the, the son died. But look, David repented and life moved on. Mm. And then he died. Mm. And it wasn't until I got older and like, went to Bible college. Oh, my goodness, David's a terrible king. Like, Bathsheba was just like the tip of the iceberg. Yeah, it gets yeah, yeah. worse yeah. and worse. So, mm. yeah, and that's part of it is that David loses his ability to rule effectively. Mm. after his sin and so it's a warning for I guess if we want to take it devotionally for us that the consequences of what sin can do but also to just what that failure of leadership is and so it's mm. a yeah mm. like a blueprint for like obviously pointing to Jesus but also to like we want to take something practically of like mm. the failure if we fail to like lead mm. in whatever we're called to do mm. yeah what the outcomes of that be and it's yeah. often not very good We've got obviously a lot of um, parents in our congregation mm. that, you know, I'm sure that there are takeaways in this mm. about, you know, the importance of being the head of a household, you know, whether it's mm. the mother or the father. I think there's, you know, definitely um, principles to be picked up mm. for both here yeah. about the importance of, I love the Rick Warren quote, private purity equals public power. Mm. The idea that mm. what you do behind closed doors actually has massive ramifications yeah, yeah. and the way that you do one thing is the way you do all things. Mm. Um, but I think that also there's, a, I'm aware, a lot of you know people who are part of our congregation who oversee in their jobs you know groups mm. of people um, in various capacities. Um, what are, you know, I'm kind of thinking about this Blackaby book and mm. this idea of spiritual leadership. Um, wh what sort of principles and applications can we pull out of this text, um, both from uh, David and, yeah, maybe, I don't know, mm. from his kids as well, uh, when it applies to our own life and the way to conduct those sort yeah. of relationships and those sort of familial di dynamics? Yeah. Um, I would say having very clear, like, parameters of what's right and wrong and also through following up hmm. in issues hmm. so yeah you, you can't 
people can't be punished for something they don't know. So yeah. that's the importance of it. I'm thinking of like having like my three kids. Yeah. Because they need to know the difference between right and wrong. So Hazel needs to know that she can't hit Asher because, you know, she didn't get her toy. Like that's because yeah. she's not her turn. Like, she needs to know that it's wrong. So there needs sure. to be clear parameters. But also too, and this is the tricky part I'm learning is parenting toddlers is they will push. So the temptation is just to go, oh, just let it slide. Yeah. But I remember Jordan Peterson wrote in his book, 10 Rules for Life. The only chapter I really remembered, he said, like, you're better to endure two hours of a screaming, like, toddler than, like, having a teenager or an adult. They won't listen to you. And I was like, yeah, that's true. It's better to sort of... So the idea is now it's, like, disciplining, like, kids earlier. And yeah. Putting in, like, following through. Better to, like, kind of nip it in the bud now so yeah. they learn. Then it's not going to magically change as they get older. In fact, it's only just going to get... The ripples will just get bigger. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I'd say here in any context. And it's like that I, yeah, cross, yeah, just raising a family, working here at the centre. Mm. It's like, yeah, learning to like, okay. Yeah. Nip things in the bud earlier. Yeah. Don't lose them. And like personally, uh, like a confession is my personality is to avoid conflict. Yeah. I'm a natural conflict avoider. So I find that very, very hard. And I had to learn that lesson the hard way is that actually, yeah, nothing gets accomplished. Nothing gets swept under the rug and fixes itself. Yeah. There's, um, mm. yeah, to go to like a creation imagery, God overcame chaos and gave humans the, like the authority to like overturn that chaos, so to speak. It's not like chaos just magically just vanishes. Mm. Like if I just leave the house, it's going to get filthy. Mm. I need to like overcome the chaos. And it's the same with life. Like I need to constantly be overcoming the chaos. Mm. And so, yeah, it's something that I've had to learn and overcome like a personality trait of mine is not just to leave things. To go, mm. I see something not to just go, oh, well, I'll just leave it and it'll fix itself. But go, no, yeah. nip this in the bud now. Yeah. And so, yeah. Yeah. That's really great. And I think that there's, yeah, a lot of courage that that takes to address things when they're not as big of issues um, and that can be really tricky but I think that yeah that's really helpful I think the other thing that is just recognizing as well that a lot of the time there is an element of us and you brought this up mm. already who knows you know how yeah. how much application there is in this but that perhaps David was softer on Amnon because he could see himself being mm. mirrored in his own sin with Bathsheba yeah I think that that can once again with being you know a parent be a really mm. interesting dynamic where it's very easy to have a lot of empathy for your kids you know let's mm. say flaws a lot of the time yeah. because they're actually mirroring our flaws mm. or our you know the person who we love the most flaws <laughs> so you know there is something in, in a weird way that mm. is somewhat in you're know, like oh you're very very stubborn but also that is me or you know whatever yeah. it is but maybe recognizing as well in the same way that maybe some of our faults haven't been addressed in mm. the past and seeing how they have proliferated into something mm. much more problematic in, you know, in the present mm. time that, yeah, recognizing it's actually just as important to address those things as well. Mm. And I think a lot of this comes back to this value of living under Christ and being free from our own shame, free from our own condemnation and fear and guilt and recognizing that when we are free from that, we are actually enabled to properly show what a godly sort of leadership mm. looks like that does call out you know injustice that does call out iniquity because yeah i think that that can be a really easy trap to fall into that you go well who am i 
you know, to, you know, hypocritically call these things out. Um, And it's a good challenge for us as well to say, well, if we really want to be able to be above reproach Mm. and accountable in what we expect of others, we need to continually be making sure that we're addressing our own flaws. And that's what Jesus said on, um, you know, look at the log that's in your own eye. Totally. And so, yeah. 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 It wasn't against like, because people say, oh, Jesus said, don't judge. I'm like, yeah, but this is the kind of context that came before it, which actually said, yeah, yeah look at the log in your own eye, see what issues are with you before you. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. No, to totally. Yes. So good, so good. So mm. as we continue to sort of head through, we now see this moment where, um, yeah, I mean, Absalom sort of takes justice into his yeah. own hands. And look, he was, yeah, Ab- this is it. These events happen over the course of about seven years. Like, yeah. it's a long time. You read it and it all just seems like one after the other. Yeah, but yeah. like, so this is two years later. So he certainly, what does they say? Revenge is a dish best served cold. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, two years is a long time away. Yeah, he didn't yeah. just <laughs> and act straight away. Like, there's, yeah, Amon almost probably would have had his guard down by this point. Yeah. And so when I'm, look, yeah. yeah. Well, and actually, ironically, um, so I kind of I kind of skipped over it a bit yesterday just for time's sake. But yeah, Absalom um, has this yeah this party. You know, he invites invite, and this is what he's clever about him. So yeah, it says here two years later when Absalom's she shepherds were at Baal Hazor near the border of Ephraim, he invited all the king's son to come there. Absalom went to the king and said, "Your servant has had she has come. Will the king and his attendants please join me?" And David's like, no, my son, you know, all of us should not go. We don't need to be a burden to you, yada, yada, yada. And so it's not like he knew David wouldn't come. So it's mm. like by asking David, it's kind of like a good little cover. He's <laughs> like, oh, well, you know, then if not, then let my brother come. Because if Amon's next in line, yeah, it's like, well, if you can't come, let's have the next yeah. sort of king sure. in place. Yeah, why should he go? And anyway, yeah, and then Absalom orders his servants, you know, Amon's in high spirits from drinking, strike him down, don't be afraid. You know, yada yada yada, and that's sort of what happens. He kills, yeah. Bring him yeah. to the party, get him drunk, drunk and, and then knock him off. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. Yeah, what, yeah. Um, in a similar way, what David was trying to do to you, right? Get him drunk, go mm. sleep with Bathsheba, kind of cover up the sins. So yeah, it's um like you know, the, yeah, the, the sins of the forefather, <laughs> so, you know, repeating themselves, yeah. and then yeah. So when um, yeah, and so initially the report is all the sons are dead, and then um. Out, it's just Amon, and by that point, Absalom has fled. And um, actually, uh, Absalom flees. It says here in verse 37 of chapter 13, Absalom fled and went to Talmi, son of Amihud, the king of Gershu. Um, uh, it's probably his father in law, okay. And I think, yeah, so David's, I can't remember, the, yeah, David's wife of Absalom, I can't remember her name right now, I have to search it up, but yeah, it seems like that's his father in law, so he's gone to sort of like. Father in law for protection, knows that he can't be touched there. And then obviously David mourns and he stays there for another three years. So by the end of like, so by the time we get to chapter, end of chapter 13, five years has passed since mm. the initial. So like it's a fair, it's like it's a long, long set of time. So it's this yeah. sort of, um, and in a sense, Absalom sort of mirroring a bit of David's story. So David spent time in exile from Saul. Absalom's sort of spending a bit of time in exile mm-hmm. from David. Mm-hmm. And there's this like, mm-hmm. so many themes just keep mm-hmm. cropping up. And then, yeah, so after David sort of mourned Amon, then he starts being concerned for um, Absalom. And then we get to chapter 14. This is very, very strange. So Joab, who is David's general, 
and his uh, I want to say his uncle, I think it's actually his nephew. Um, but anyway, he's um, David's general. For some reason, he wants Absalom to come back, and the irony is that Job's the one who kills him. Mm. Yeah, it's all a bit odd. It's mm. very strange. So, like, so I don't know if Joab recognizes that well Absalom's like now next in line he needs to be back here mm-hmm. David's not doing a good job mm-hmm. Absalom will do a better job I, I don't really know because in the end they have a very tense relationship Joab mm-hmm. and Absalom because mm-hmm. Absalom burns Joab's field at one point mm-hmm. and Joab ends up killing him but anyway so Joab is the instigator of this mm-hmm. and I mentioned this lady the wise woman from Tekoa yeah um, and uh, she's meant to dress up in mourning and she says this parable like a Nathan yeah so, totally like, yeah like again these themes are picking up and so she tells a story which is riffing off Cain and Abel mm. um, and so the story is I'm a widow and my husband is dead I your servant had two sons they got into a fight with each other in the field no one was there to separate them one struck the other and killed him now the whole clan has risen up against your servant they said hand over the one who struck his brother down so that we may put him to death the life of his brother whom he killed then we will get rid of the heir as well that would put only that would put out the bur- only burning coal I have left leaving my husband neither name nor descendant on the face yeah mm. so it's actually a dilemma mm. huge dilemma so yeah. there'd be no, the name would evaporate and so um yeah. Yeah, I don't know if this woman came up with it or it's Job's idea, but it's a very, very clever parable, mm. exactly what Nathan has done. And yeah. so in a sense, drawing out a parable to make David kind of condemn himself. Yeah. And, you know... You'd think, you know, he would have learned his lesson yeah. not, not fallen for the same <laughs> yeah. trap twice. But that's, but, right. um, that's why I used a woman and, you know, who knows, he ain't suspecting it. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and then, and then kind of the woman says, you know, King's like, you go home. The woman said, let my Lord pardon me and my family and let the... King of Israel be about guilt. The king says, anyone says anything to you, bring them to me and I'll not bother you. And then sort of, you know, then let the king invoke the Lord, his God, to prevent the avenger of blood from adding to the destruction so that my son will not be destroyed. As sure as the Lord lives, not one hair on your son's head will fall to the ground. And then that's when she kind of reveals the truth. There's also a bit of an irony there. Yeah. <laughs> Because, you know, why I'm Absalom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His, 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 his hair very much falls to the ground eventually. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's um, yeah. Yeah, just some really cool little, just little biblical narrative insights there. And so, yeah, David's, yeah, basically kind of, again, you, the parable, like I said, just spoken condemnation mm. on himself in the sense of that, okay, you've forgiven this example, mm. now forgive Absalom mm. and mm. let him come back. And so, mm. and then when... um. Yeah, Absalom does come back. It is interesting. I'll just skip forward a bit more, and we'll talk about his hair and his appearance. Yeah, yeah he's um, he lives in Jerusalem another two years. Mm. So now this is year seven yeah. without seeing the king's face. Mm. And then this is where I said it gets a bit weird. So Absalom, because it's been really normal up until this. <laughs> yeah, point. Yeah, well, a bit weird. This is what I mean about yeah. their relationship with Absalom and Joab. You know, um, Absalom sends for Joab. See the king, but Joab refuses. Tries again. Then it's like, well, look, he still next month says burn it and get his attention. Yes, yeah. <laughs> sure to pike someone's interest. Yeah. Hey, I burnt down your Airbnb. Yeah, hey, <laughs> Let's come talk. talk to me. You know, and then he does that, and so yeah, and then um. Yeah, so that's sort of, I, I don't know if that sets the way for why Joab's furious with Absalom yeah, or what. but pretty it's dirty, for sure. I like killed him that way, or just recognises that he's a threat to the throne. But yeah, yeah. it's interesting. Joab's the one to bring Absalom back, and then anyway, loses property destruction. And so, just to finish up, before we go back to Absalom's yeah, beauty, so he gets brought before the king, and it's interesting. This is 
a bit of Judas language coming in here. Yeah. yeah. Absalom comes with his face to the ground and the king kisses Absalom. It's like, yeah, it's interesting. Kiss mm. before betrayal. But um, yeah, Absalom, this is how biblical narrative goes. It kind of jumps around a bit no, in terms of... And yeah, in verse, verses 25 to 26, we're given, again, a description about the physical appearance of Absalom. And we're told, in Israel, there's not a man so highly praised for his appearance as mm. Absalom. From mm. the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was not a blemish in mm, him. There's some good genes in this line yeah. of David. Oh, yeah. Tamar is beautiful. Absalom, no one <laughs> yeah. more handsome. It's mentioned earlier that David was handsome yeah, himself as a young boy. They're obviously, they're a good-looking bunch of, yeah. <laughs> bunch of kids. Um, yeah, and because Scripture has an interesting relationship with handsome and or beautiful people. Rachel is very beautiful mm. compared to Leah. Mm. And yeah, that's why Jacob picks her. Mm. Joseph is seen as very yeah. handsome. Yeah. And that's sort of to his. Yeah. Yeah. He's and not then condemned we, for that. And then we yeah. get to Jesus, and it was like, you know, he yeah. had nothing, you know, to yeah. draw, no, no outward beauty yeah. to a draw, draw us to him. But um, yeah, in Samuel, at least, physical appearance is deceptive. Mm. So yeah, we've encountered tall Saul. Yeah, he turned out to be a failure. Um, Samuel's rebuked when he's choosing the sons of um, Jesse. Mm-hmm. You know, he's a yep. liar. He's like, hey, you know, yeah. people look at the outside; the Lord looks at the heart. And yeah. so, yeah, um, I mentioned earlier, um, yeah, something beautiful, someone beautiful in Samuel usually stirs trouble. Yeah. And so yeah, Bathsheba. It's not her fault that she was beautiful, but that was the cause of all this trouble. And so now we've got this reference to Absalom. Mm being handsome so at this point you could sort of see him as a bit of an anti-hero like well you know mm. he was just defending his sister's honor but now it's almost like okay now i've got the description of him being handsome mm, we're gonna sense something good is not coming mm. so something i should say something bad is coming mm. so mm. yeah and then and then what's interesting in verse 26 um we're told about his hair whenever he cut the hair of his head he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him he would weigh it and the weight of it was about 200 shekels which is about two kilos or five pounds that is a lot of hair well i was was listening to the hamish and andy podcast recently and they were remembering an old stunt they did where hamish had to wear a helmet for a week to um cover his ears and eyes okay and he goes with it like by day three i started getting neck problems because there's too too much weight on my Mm. neck so you know heavy heavy lies the head (laughs) up on the the hair but it is interesting that this hair kind of keeps on coming back Mm. and we can look, look at it as we continue but what I am really struck by in, and I think it's something really important for us to note, particularly looking at Old Testament story, mm. that at different points in the story, these characters are playing different roles. Mm. So you spoke in this last passage here in chapter 14 that mm. it's the king, a David, who kisses Absalom. Mm. So suddenly in this moment, if you're comparing David to a Judas in this mm. moment, then Absalom is actually playing the Christ-like mm. figure. This is something you've already alluded to that coming back over this text, you're like, ah. Oh, Maybe Absalom isn't all bad, mm. and definitely David isn't all good. Yeah. So at this moment here, how are we supposed to interpret this? If this is maybe somewhat foreshadowing another moment, mm. Absalom playing a Christ-like figure in this moment, what mm. what can we take out of that? Um, so I'd say someone who is trying to defend injustice. Mm. Absalom, at his core, was seeking to eradicate evil. Mm. Like a terrible crime had been committed against his sister. She, yeah, in a world unlike our world, where once the virgin lost her virginity, that was sort of it. Like, 
came over. Like she would have just lived as, you know, this widow under Absalom's roof. Mm. Like he takes her under her care. And so the only way kind of her she's honoured is through his daughter who's named after her. Mm. So there's, unlike today where we have, yeah, just such a different world, which I just sure. can't wrap my head around. I still, yeah. like, no matter how much I say the Bible, I just cannot understand that. So, but that's, <laughs> yeah, it's just a different way yeah. of thinking for us. So, yeah, for him, he's trying to, like, restore his sister's honour for this terrible injustice that's mm. being committed against her. Yeah. And there's this, also too, just this unresolved tension. He's, father won't talk to him he's been mm. two years to plan the murder of his brother three years in exile with his mm. father-in-law and now two years in jerusalem and he hasn't spoken to him mm. and he has to burn down the field of his father's general to even just get a look in mm. like it's a long time of just being ignored all these tensions and I'm sure there's unresolved guilt unresolved anger it mm. all just start just festering mm. in there but I guess um, so I see that as part of Jesus. He's one to like, yeah. Um, Zach Eswine, like he he has a great language of when um, when the woman that washes Jesus' feet with her hair, saying probably for the first time like a man looked at her with pointless eyes, and I was like, yeah, it's such a great quote. Like Jesus looked at the woman and saw value for who she was, and so like in that sense, Absalom's valuing women. He's saying like this is like. These are crimes that need to be stood up against. So in that way, I see him as a bit of a Jesus figure, like defending yeah. women. Um, what we're meant to kind of see in verse 26 about his hair, it's not just a random little feature. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. There's a deliberate, deliberate little riffing off. Mm. And so we're told when Hannah gives birth to Samuel that he will be a Nazarite. And mm -hmm. so that means he will never cut his hair. Yeah. And so, like a Nazarite was someone else set apart, and usually it's just a temporary vow set apart for the Lord. Yeah, Absalom's like an anti Nazarite mm. in a sense. Yeah. And so, yeah, I meant to look at that and go, okay, like his hair, which is, yeah, I've forgotten the proverb. Yeah, like, you know, your hair's like a crown. Gray hair's yeah, a crown. Yeah, like yeah. this idea of hair being a crown yeah, for yeah. you, crown of honor. Sort of, he takes that and it's, yeah. Almost like it is his downfall, and so mm. he sort of has this like anti-Nazarite sort of mm. way about him. So mm. I said this, yeah. I've I've become a lot more sympathetic to Absalom mm. before really studying him closely. I was just like, oh, he was just this terrible person who kind of got what he deserved, and you know, yeah. Job did the right thing by stabbing him on that tree. To like, oh man, this guy was just yeah, like an anti-hero to use that sort of word, yeah. like someone who's trying to do right but just went way too far and in I trying mean, to, like, overcome evil. And that's, yeah. yeah. And again, kind of thinking back to the, if David had never committed the sin with Bathsheba, this mm. would never happen. So, yeah. I think there's a really interesting takeaway here as well, because I think that, um, yeah, in a, in a sort of guilt-innocence culture, we are very obsessed. I mean, you know, maybe it's, it's too low fruit to, to pick, but mm. I think of the Me Too movement, mm. which I think, you know, a lot of people agree in its moment had to happen. Mm. Um, but then I think that we have also maybe seen um, over sort of ba balances or overreactions, yeah. you know. Um, and it is quite fascinating when we as flawed humans try to take justice into our own hands. Yes, it can sometimes be righteous, but mm. it's never perfect. <laughs> and likewise, the sort of the... the um, 
equally sort of wrong response is to just be avoidant and withdraw mm. like David. And it does set up a really interesting sort of, you know, paradigm here where mm. an Absalom who's maybe a little bit too zealous in taking justice into mm. his own hands and a David who is apathetic in this moment are both sort of pale in comparison to a prince a christ a Mm. king who comes and brings absolute justice absolute Mm. righteousness it is a fascinating tension that we see and one which yeah obviously we are still called to be people Mm. who follow christ to um yeah want justice and and mercy and righteousness but the truth is we're never going to be able to get it perfect ourselves Mm. and i think that that is one lie that our modern culture has fallen yeah. into that we can believe that through the perfect laws and the perfect justice system mm. um, that, you know, every day, every person will have their day mm. of justice in court when we just know that that's not true. Yeah. People are wrongly convicted. Mm. People get off scot-free of awful, horrendous crimes. Mm. And the reality is that is only the true judge of Christ mm. when he finally comes for the true judgment that everything will be set right in a, in a perfect balance and the chaos that you know Christ kind of comes into mm. that you spoke about is exactly what this is all mm. about you know because it's yeah. not like this uh is a one off moment <laughs> we mm. see this you know all the way into yeah. Jesus birth and even today that there continues to be chaos there continues to be injustice mm. and there continues to be um yeah a desperate need for mm. a judge who perfectly enacts that yeah. justice and um my one thing uh, cancel culture is quite big now so on twitter you know mm. what's it called now x x <laughs> twitter you know, yeah, yeah, x yeah. or uh, yeah. when, it, when you leave kisses i don't know when you, yeah. <laughs> i don't even know what's going on anyway, i'm just gonna call it twitter because it sounds better than x but yeah like you have this kind of cancel culture for yeah people will really be considered guilty before being proved innocent and i yeah. see that like yeah, you're saying about me too. That was definitely a movement that was started with very, very good intentions. Mm. And even to an extent, cancel culture, it was trying to remove, it still is, I suppose, in the point of trying to remove like racial injustice, yeah, like, you know, sexual discrimination, whatever it is. Yeah, it's yeah, trying yeah. to say, hey, like these things aren't right. Yeah. But we do it by forming a mob and trying to like lose your employment. And yeah. so what started as something very good actually becomes I can see a lot of Absalom in that. Like it For actually sure. you've trying to do something good, but you've just like so someone makes one mistake, mm. you like destroy their livelihood mm. forever. Yeah. And it's like like yeah, that's not justice. That's yeah, but that's exactly what Absalom does in mm. a sense. So something that's yeah. Mm. And for me that's why I find when Jesus says turn the other cheek <laughs> It's actually, for me, a little bit eschatological, mm. like end time, because in a sense, you're saying like, well, I'm going to, that cheek will get, your slap cheek will receive justice when Jesus returns, mm. which is why it's not about, yeah, yeah. even Paul says, he goes, you know, as the scripture says, mine to avenge, you know, don't repay back evil with evil, mm. like you hand it over to God and mm. let him sort it out. Mm. Yeah. Because I'm very really glad it's God sorting out on me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no. mm. Amen. Yeah. Well, look, that that uh, I think concludes part one of our yeah. uh, you know sort of wrap up of two Samuel. So mm. uh, look, let's leave it there. We'll yeah, get, we'll get, give people uh, just as a little sort of uh, teaser, just so they'll keep on listening. What are we <laughs> What are we jumping into uh, next? So in we'll these look at the the rest of the remaining Absalom story. So when Absalom sort of takes the throne mm. to his death. All right, just the stuff around that. So. That's good. Yeah. The, the, the demise of Asp- Absalom, <laughs> part two. <laughs> Tune in. All right, well, uh, yeah. Well, I hope you, you hear you very soon. Yeah. <laughs>
Thanks so much for joining us. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to help others discover this channel. Check out the description if you want to find out more or get in touch with us at the Centre Dural. But in the meantime, praying for God's hand over you as you continue to step into everything Jesus has in store for your life. Be blessed.